Welcome to the Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast season two. We are back, y'all. It's your girl, Malika Grant. And I'm Nanada Kosechema. It's so great to be back because, oh my goodness, we have like so many treats for you all in this new season. It's a sexual buffet of oratory talents. Wow. I'm like, let me just tell you. Hey. Yes. Fire. Fire, fire. <laughs> Damn, she's so Starting us off with a fire. She has been blogging, tweeting, and speaking about sex for just about as long as we have. She's got a podcast called Laid Bear, and her recent book, The Big O, is out. Do you know who we're talking about, Nana? I mean, let me just give people a clue. Ladies, let's have some fun. It's the one, the only... Alani! Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I love that intro as well. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) So we are so pleased to have you here and to have you back, actually. For those of you who do not know, and I don't see why you wouldn't know, we were recently in London. There was no way we were not going to go to London and not see the queen (laughs) and spill some tea (laughs) with Alani. So the amazing thing about all three of us on stage is that we are all veteran bloggers. We're all authors now. Um, we all started writing about sex and sexuality around the same time. What started you on your journey? What started for me? I think um, growing up, especially as a Nigerian woman, um, I had so many questions when it came to sex and often... When I was around my friends, I... So Aloni, you are an inspiration for many women, just many people in general. Why did you become a sex blogger? So I became a sex blogger because I've just always enjoyed talking about sexuality. I was very curious. I believe that there were so many questions that I never really had the answer to. And I felt like I was always kind of left out because I was I was very sheltered. I came from a religious background. My mum wouldn't even talk to me about what it was like to have a period. Mm. So, and you can imagine periods are not necessarily, they don't have nothing to do with, you know, There's intimacy. nothing sexy about a period. <laughs> There's nothing. I'm, I mean, I'm on my period now and believe me, I do not feel sexy. <laughs> I feel very unsexy. But, you know, um, growing up, like, and when I got to around maybe around 18, you know, or even just before that, the time when you start becoming really interested in boys, you start dating. And around this time, there wasn't really much forums. You could only really have conversations with your girlfriends because the internet wasn't live and popping as it is today. Uh All I had was my friends and the phone and talking to them. And because I loved talking about boys and I loved talking about dating relationships, not understanding, you know, men or wanting to to try and understand them properly. I would blog about my experiences. I'd blog about my dating woes or my friends' dating problems or, you know, try to understand like why men were from Mars and why women were from Venus. That's mm-hmm. what I really, really try to to take in. And naturally when you talk about relationships and dating sex comes hand in hand. And that was around the time I lost my virginity, which was 18. And I remember just wanting to just, you know, have those conversations and 
again, I was someone who was very curious because again, grew up in a very religious household. So that meant I was going to church every Sunday without fail. <laughs> and I just remember like a Sunday school teacher, like she was an auntie of ours who our parents trusted and she put on a tape which was, in my opinion, very careless because this was um, a take of a woman who was saying how wrong it was to get an abortion. She was a Mm. preacher. And I just thought to myself, like, did you get permission from our parents to even share this tape? Yeah. Um, And there are other ways you could go about teaching us about safe sex. It shouldn't just be you shouldn't get an abortion. Like, there are so many steps before you have sex. Like, you know... If you do, if you are thinking about having sex, you know, I understand when it comes to Christianity or most religions anyway, that you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. But Mm. realistically, I think there were so many ways they could have gone about it in terms of teaching us, you know, maybe, I don't know, the morning after pill, teaching us about contraception. If we ever do find ourselves in those positions, I think that there were just so many precautions they could have taken. And I thought, again, it was irresponsible for this woman to put on a tape for us. And I just remember, even though I never had a name for it, I didn't know what being pro-choice was at the Mm -hmm. time. I knew I was pro-choice because I just remember feeling so rebellious and thinking, no, it's my body. If I do not want to bear someone's child, I will not. But again, I never had those conversations growing up. So again, went home, blogged about it. It was probably one of my first blogs as well. Oh, wow. You came with fire. (laughs) Yes, I did. Like, I really dug deep and wanted to have those conversations. And, you know, I, it just really developed there. I've always enjoyed talking about sex from an educational standpoint, as well as the raunchy and pleasurable side. So I would say that would definitely be part of my journey as to how I got into it. <laughs> yeah. I like the word that you use, particularly in this instance that you describe in the church, which was careless, because I think mm-hmm. oftentimes when people are in church, or people, authority figures are in church, they don't really consider the trauma that this kind of conversation or proselytizing can have on a person because, you know, kids are having abortions. I remember when I was in high school, my cousin, by the time we were 16, had had three. Um, so I hope that, you know, when people listen back to this and hopefully it will make it into some religious circles is have some care, you know, when you're sharing mm-hmm. these things. So, but yeah, yeah, thank you for coming with the fire on that um, <laughs> out the gate. <laughs> So, you know, you said you you like talking about um, sex from an educational standpoint. When you were doing, you know, your research in this work, did you ever see yourself as a a Black woman, a Nigerian woman, reflected back in these conversations that you were having in the mainstream? In the mainstream, no. Um, I mean, I'm someone who loves, I mean, for example, Cosmopolitan to me is like the Bible of sex magazines. Mm-hmm. And um, I never really saw my experiences in there. I didn't think I could relate because, I mean, it's a white magazine designed for women. And um, I never really saw myself. And of course, we understand that representation matters. But I found that I had to look across the sea. Like, you know, I would have to read articles from Black women in America who mm. were talking about sexuality. And that's how I kind of saw myself. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean I didn't really learn anything from the white media that I picked up. I mean, if we're talking about sex in the city, for example, like those were things <laughs> I did. I could still, there was a bit of relatability in terms of, you know, talking to your friends about your boyfriends or your sexual experiences, but I didn't see 
a black woman talking about mm. culture. And I feel like our upbringing is slightly, there's some similarities, but I feel like ultimately it's different when it comes to a Nigerian woman. A Nigerian British experience will never really right. be the same as a white woman's. So I guess in a sense, I was very lucky to have my friends with me and that was all I needed. The conversations that I had with my friends their experiences. I mean, I was like the second person in my friendship group to lose my virginity. Mm. And I remember my friend just asking me like, did you leave the lights on or did, did it like, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but yeah, um, I, I don't think to answer your question. Yeah. I don't really feel like I ever saw myself in mainstream media when it came to sexuality, mm. but I think things are changing now. I think things are, are getting better. I do. I agree. I think it's a lot more inclusive. And I think that it's due to the work that, you know, people like you have done. I'm going to shout myself out here like myself and yeah. Nana have done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about your book for a bit. So, you know, like I said, you've been a, a sex bird for over a decade. You've been writing about this. And so you're an author. Nana's just written this book, The Sex Lives of African Women. I've written mm -hmm. books um, on romance. Can you talk about what it was like to transition from blogging to writing? Because we're seeing a lot more. I'm going to, you know, Nigerian women are just taking over. Like, I don't you know are. what it is. It's, yeah. You are. Like, <laughs> if we talk about African writers, we're talking about Nigerian women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was it like making that transition? Um, for me, it was very difficult because I feel like when I'm blogging, I think it's the same when I'm mini blogging, like when I'm tweeting as well, you know, I'm showcasing my personality and I'm just talking and I'm sharing my, my opinions, even if they come across a bit silly to some people. Like I have this, I like to try and push this agenda that I don't believe that women should ride when they're having sex because of the orgasm gap. I'm just like, no, men need to put more of the work in, not women. Put more right? effort in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we need to close the orgasm gap. Like, you know, but that's just me being a bit silly. It's, it's become part of my brand now to tell women to stop riding, but I'm not actually being serious. Right. And that's the thing. I think that a lot of my blogging or my tweetings are very tongue in cheek. I don't really consider myself a very serious person. Like I find everything humorous. However, I had to handle things with so much care when writing my book. Of course, like when you're writing a book and you're stating studies and research, you have to cite it extremely well. And your editors will not let you approve any opinion or research or study if you don't have some sort of proof to back it up with. Mm. So it was, it, and it took a lot of research, but I was, I, I was educating myself along the way and I was unlearning things along the way, which I really, really enjoyed. What did you discover um, when writing this book that you didn't know about yourself or just even informationally? I think the whole process was life-changing, but I would definitely say there were facts within the book that I had to take out because they weren't facts, you know? A funny one for me was one that a lot of sex educators use, which is, oh my gosh, the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, which actually isn't true. You're joking. Yeah, no, it's not true. It's not true at all. And I remember when I was writing this and my editor was just like, you know, you have to actually find the study for this. And I think I was so confident because again, this was something that was, that is said so much in the sex sphere that we yeah. all push it and we all believe it. And, you know, um, when we're having more conversations about the vulva, these are conversations or narratives you probably do want to push, but there's no truth to it. Like yeah. I think it was done on a 
cow. So it would be incorrect for me to have included that. And um, even when I listen to other sex educators still say, I'm just like, uh, well, actually, that's uh, actually, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to like, actually, that's not true. So I've seen it a lot less now. I do not see it anymore. Yeah. I have to say, but it was definitely a study or um, a false fact that people really did push. And maybe even the clitoris does have double the nerve endings as the male penis, but... It's not 8,000. <laughs> yeah, it probably it might. I don't think it's 8,000. I don't know if it's 8,000, <laughs> but I don't know. And, and I get it. You know, we were trying to highlight how... Important the clitoris is. Yeah, how amazing the clitoris is and how sensitive it is and, and you know, what happens when blood rushes to it. But, um, yeah, I had to remove that because there isn't any physical evidence and you know that's just that's just female sexuality for you or when it yeah. comes to female anatomy how much studies is is really done on on our on our body not that much you know not that much still- i mean they're comparing us to a cow i mean yeah. i have nothing to do with you know a bovine ex- sexual experience i'm so like I'm so disappointed. <laughs> honestly you know um but that just shows you i think it also shows uh, in a way how I don't want to say the word desperate, but how keen we are for for us to have to find these amazing studies around our bodies because mm. there's just not that much. There really isn't that much. And I think just for a very long time, there's been little effort when it comes to female sexuality as a whole. So yeah, hundred percent. I have to say this information for me is life changing and it's very freeing yeah. because like sometimes you're in a situation and there's so much attention being given to your clitoris and it's like, it has 8,000 nerve endings. Why is it yeah. like exploding? Why is it taking 15 minutes <laughs> to arrive? <laughs> Is that longer for a lot of women? Yeah. 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 No. So for me, this is life changing. So thank you for sharing that. I will definitely be delving deeper into the book to learn more. <laughs> yeah. So as women who write about sex, you know, Nana and I have, have noticed that um, men have certain expectations when it comes to being in a relationship with somebody who writes about sex. They either want to know, are you going to write about this? Or, you know, either with anticipation or fear. I know that you're in a committed relationship now, but did you yeah. have any experience with that prior or even currently with your your current partner? Oh, my current partner is so easygoing. Like, he's just so comfortable. Um, I think my last relationship in the beginning wasn't too comfortable with me talking mm-hmm. about sex. But I think that was kind of a representation of just how society was and how a lot of men would have probably felt. Mm. But with time, I think when he saw what I was doing and how much it meant to a lot of women, he loosened up. But other guys that I've been with or had, you know, casual hookups with, oh, I definitely feel like they enjoyed the fact that (laughs) I had a podcast that was about sex because they wanted to be a hot topic. Right. And it also gives them the confidence to be better pleasers because I, I don't think they wanted me to basically bastardize their, their, their performance in and on my podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they always stepped up to the challenge. And I can't really remember the last time I've like had a terrible sexual experience. And I think that's because of what I do. But my fiance now, no, he's always, he's been very supportive. He loves what I do. And, you know, he sees, he, yeah, he's, he's always in the background, like just watching me and cheering me on. So yeah, I love him for that. 
<laughs> I think that it's really amazing that you guys are able to go on this journey together. Cause sometimes, you know, when you get to a level of achievement, like you've got, and then a man comes in, um, it can be difficult for them to adjust. And so for him to be so supportive in the beginning, I think is absolutely incredible for the two of you. Um, has you. being engaged had any sort of influence on, on your and I hope it's okay to ask this on your, your romantic relationship or your sexual experience. And the reason I ask is because I, um, had so many friends, like when I was in my twenties and they were like, yeah, we've lived together for 10 years, but as soon as we got married, everything in the bedroom just got better. I'm like, how? <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to say it stopped because I know there's always this idea that like married people don't have sex. And I'm just like, not me. I have a high libido. I need to get mine. <laughs> true and you know I, I guess it's also still the idea that marriage is when you're allowed to have sex so people just get even freakier and like okay we're married so we can do everything at this point. we can do all the things <laughs> yeah but i've never really restricted myself if i like you if i'm comfortable and you make me feel good and i know this is something that's worthwhile like i'm going to give you you know the best version of myself sexually mm -hmm. and romantically yeah have you ever written about what it takes as a woman to become comfortable um, so that you can have the best sex? What kind of tips would you give somebody who, you know, is feeling that level of discomfort but still wants to share their body with somebody? Ooh, I would say the first thing you need to do is to get comfortable with self. I think it's so important to be comfortable with yourself before you're comfortable with someone else in the room. Mm -hmm. You need to understand what pleasure looks like on your own and mm. you know growing up that was something that <laughs> I did a lot like I remember the first time I masturbated I was probably like 13 and I remember when I discovered this big O I said oh my god I am never going back to <laughs> not masturbating it was just this beautiful euphoric feeling that I had unlocked and I didn't know what was going on all I knew mm. is that I had these fanny flutters and I needed to just you know, flick my bean, but I've been comfortable with my sexuality from a very long time. And I think that everyone's sexual journey is different because I still speak to women who tell me that they've never received an orgasm or that they've never really played with themselves or that their partner doesn't really consider their body. And I think that when you know what pleasure looks like on your own, you can take that to the bedroom. You can direct your partner. You feel more comfortable and confident in your sexuality you know how to guide them you know what to tell them and um it really does help so I would say that would be my top tip is to really really understand your your body and understand what it is that you enjoy so you can then teach your partner um and I would also say learning to find your voice mm. because I think a lot of us give our sexual partners um, a pass to just try and, I guess, read our minds and figure out themselves what it is that they like. But I really yeah. do encourage women, especially women who are in cis-hetero relationships, to find their voice because we are the ones who are struggling when it comes to um, the orgasm gap. Right. And I've always said, like, I think it's because we believe or society has told us that sex is something that's done to us. It's not something that we're supposed to be a part of or something that mm -hmm. we use to gift men with. And that's just simply not really true. 
And I would definitely encourage women to try and, yeah, find their voices. And we're told to be a bit more submissive yes. when it comes to our voices, which we then bring that same attitude to the bedroom. And we don't say, hey, I would love if you could, you know, go down on me. Or I would like if you could touch me like this or don't stop. I'm enjoying this. Keep doing that. No, I don't really like this. You know, and as well as the orgasm gap, there's also the all sex gap. You know, studies tell us that... um men are cis hetero men are more unlikely to go down on women in the bedroom Mm. in comparison to women and that's just awful and it's because we're not speaking up or we're returning to these guys who believe that it's okay to give us half-hearted sex Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you need to even if you want to be submissive in the bedroom I feel like it's important to tap into being a dom and a dom meaning that you need to be comfortable exerting your power in your voice and saying this is how I enjoy being pleasured and if you Mm -hmm. don't pleasure me this way I'm not returning back here again tap into that same that energy (laughs) that energy that's you know and and talk to him with it and say nah this is what I really enjoy and you don't have to do it in a dismissive way or like oh you're really crap you can do it in a loving way there is you know that you can do it in a way where no one firmly Yes. But, you know, you you talked about the big O and when you discovered it, and that's also the title of your book. Yes. We've talked about, you know, themes of of religion and, you know, spirituality and different people's beliefs can affect their approaches to sex. And you've got something in the book called Ohlone's 12 Commandments. Yes. How did you come up with that list? And what is one key commandment from that list? I think one key commandment is definitely love who you want to love. And that's because I I think that there's just so much emphasis that's put on our sexuality to either be straight or gay or bi. And mm. um, people don't understand what being sexually fluid means. I mean, I still get women who will send me a dilemma. I had one recently. Um, we discussed it on my podcast. And she said, um, dear Olani, you know, my boyfriend and I were, were drunk and we were talking and he admitted that he'd love me to peg him. Does this mean that he's gay? And I'm just He's like, gay. <laughs> Now you, me and my host were just like, no, it means that your boyfriend's a freak, you know, get that strap on him. And um, I just think that we just put too much emphasis on our sexuality and we put too much emphasis on labels and titles when we should just enjoy what we want to enjoy, experiment how we want to experiment and understand that it doesn't really define us. You know, society's so accepting of lesbians, but mm. let a man say that he enjoys a shower twice a day it means he's gay. Right. Or it, do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, like, we look for any excuse to try and emasculate a man just because he might do something that we deem out of the ordinary. But um, I really did come up with the rest of the 12 commandments as I was writing the book. I think one that also stuck out to me as well was um, not allowing your happiness to rely on a man. I have a section in there which is about relationships and heartbreak and. I feel like a lot of the young women who inspired me to start blogging properly and put a lot of effort into my work, I saw something that was a reoccurring theme when they would send me their dilemmas, which was them not wanting to leave a situation that they'd been in for so long, um, them not wanting to leave a situation because they lost their virginity to him. And it was just this repeated thing. And I noticed, and this is another thing I noticed in our culture, a lot of African black women have been raised 
to be someone else's wife. We have not been raised to be our own individuals. And, and honestly, it's just, I, I notice it with everything that we do. I noticed it when I was at university. Um, you know, our parents assuming that we were going to find the love of our lives as soon as we're In done. University. And it, yep. Yeah. And it was just like, mom, it's not the same anymore. Like, you know, society and university has really changed. Like, guys will fuck you and feed you and say that that's it and that's you it. know that's it and to my mom she would assume no that's your boyfriend i'm like no he's a heartbreaker this is your budding husband exactly and he fed you he sexualized you that's your husband that's your husband <laughs> that's your boyfriend you know because she just immediately thinks if you're having sex with that person then that's the love of your life it's a relationship now it's a relationship (laughs) it's like you don't even understand we are so scared of commitment in the black british culture like we are we are i like to say we are the kings of situationships because there are so many levels (laughs) that we take before we actually you know become very serious about commitment but um yeah no when it when it comes to writing the commandments um i really really wanted women to understand that you know sex and being in a relationship is not enough to continue in a bad situation especially if it if it does nothing for you if it doesn't serve you like please leave Mm, 100% yeah (laughs) so as a final question um this is a question we are asking all of our guests this season can you share with us a sexy secret and you can interpret that any way you want? Yes. Okay. My sexy secret. I think my sexy secret would definitely have to be recording the audio of sex. Yes. I love yes. to record the audio. If not the visual, I love to record the audio. Um, I'm a big believer in looking for different ways to enjoy self-pleasure. You know, porn, especially ethical porn is great. But it's important to find different ways to tap into your fantasies. And I think just by recording the audio, when you and your partner or whoever are having sex, um, this is something you can go back to and listen to later on your own. Um, and it's, I don't even know how I started doing it. I just remembered that one day I just wanted to record the audio. And... Um, I do it quite often. It's something that I use to like stimulate myself with. It's something that I like to try and remember. Like, you know, what were we doing? I wonder what we were doing. Creeps in the bed, the noises that I'm making, what he's whispering in my ear. And it just Ooh. takes you back. I'm having flashbacks. Like, oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Getting hot beneath the collar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ohlone, this has been so much fun. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm excited for the rest of the season. We are off to a fantastic start. Are you excited? It's going to be a fire season. We have like so many big names who agreed to be on the podcast. Yeah. Y'all like us. We like that you like us. Yes. Thank you for the love. (laughs) Keep tuning in. New episode next week. Just stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Give us a review. (laughs) Five stars. Yes, five stars. We deserve all the stars. Show us some love.
The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is hosted by Malaika Grant and Nana Darkose Chiama. Sally Chan, AQ Studios CEO, is an executive producer alongside the hosts. Freddie Boswell is a senior producer. Audio editors are Mercy Barno and Tevin Sudi, alongside production support from Mercy Gudaga and Lucas Ngao. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is a production of AQ Studios in partnership with Massey Media. Follow us on all our socials at AQ Studios Podcasts. Our theme music is Damn by Ria Boss. Find Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women anywhere you get your podcasts and in the pursuit of all things sex, sexuality and pleasure. Follow us on all our social media platforms at Adventures From. Thank you for listening. Damn, she's so fly. Goddamn, she might die. She goddamn with the goddess life. She everything you were.